Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hey, welcome to the fourth episode of a podcast series that's exploring twin mysteries. The first, did Titanic sink? The second, has my friend Carlo Ritchie, who thinks it didn't, lost his mind? To his credit, Carlo's introduced a lot of compelling evidence so far, and he's talked me through the motive and the means for how this Titanic conspiracy theory works. But now I want to drill into the opportunity. In the last episode, Carlo introduced this huge fire that was apparently raging in the coal bunker of Titanic for three weeks. And he believes it was lit on purpose. According to Carlo, this was the plan. Light a big fire and then slowly and safely sink the Titanic to the bottom of the ocean and claim your insurance payout. Except the thing that got in the way was the big iceberg. Now, if this is the case, I don't know how you're supposed to get 2,200 people off a burning passenger ship safely, but Carlo did mention this. I don't think they intended to kill all these people, Tim. They wanted this ship to sink slowly, with plenty of time for nearby ships to come to the rescue. In fact, I believe there were some ships that were actually waiting for this event to happen in order to rescue the passengers. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? Hope so, because I'm Tim, he's Carlo, and this is Did Titanic Sink? Hey, Carlo. Hello, Tim. That was a very nice intro. Oh, thanks. I forgot you were here. Yeah, I was just being polite. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, I've got a big burning question to kick off. If Titanic was supposed to sink slower, do you think everyone could have been saved? The answer is actually way simpler than you might think, Tim. Oh, thank God. But before I get to that... You son of a bitch. I just want to say thanks for hearing me out. Oh, sorry. You're welcome. Now, the simple answer is yes. The Titanic survivors were rescued by a ship called the RMS Carpathia, who arrived on the scene about two hours after Titanic sank. Now, if Titanic had managed to stay afloat until then, way more people would have been saved. So two hours, that's about all we need to see more lives saved in this case. What's also good to mention at this point is Titanic didn't actually know where they were. Because at night time in 1912, if you're on a ship, you're pretty much just guessing where you were. Yeah, right. I mean... We're at kind of just after the turn of the century. Obviously, GPS isn't a thing yet. Is everyone still navigating with the stars and the sun and stuff? It's mostly the sun, yes. They, they are using the stars to some degree, but it's mostly the sun. So at night, they calculate their position by this thing called dead reckoning. And dead reckoning works in that you work out when the last time you saw the sun was, you know where that position was, and then you just work out how long you've been traveling in what general direction and that's where you think you should be. How accurate was this method? It seems pretty janky. It's pretty accurate. It's it's not exactly accurate, but it does give you a fairly good indication of where you were. Now, hence dead reckoning. 
Hence dead reckoning, yes. Now, the Titanic's position was calculated by a guy named 4th Officer Boxhall. Man, that is crazy foresight that his parents gave him that first name. Yeah, yeah, it, it really worked out for him in the end. It was hard when he was 5th Officer and 6th Officer. Yeah, but, I'll bet. But eventually... As soon as he got that promotion, he was like, born to do it, baby. Yeah, he's peaked. You don't want to get him promoted after that. Absolutely not. Captain 4th Officer. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, no. So he was the guy who was in charge of calculating where Titanic was. Right. And he he was wrong. And he knew that he was probably wrong. How so he, wrong was he? The first position that he gave was about, I think, 8 miles off the position or 10 miles off, something like that. That seems not that wrong for me in the scheme of things when you're floating around the North Atlantic at night. Sure, but if you've got passengers in lifeboats who are floating out there waiting for rescue, that's about an hour in terms of how long it will take a ship to find you because these ships have an average speed of about 12 miles an hour, you know. Right. So he knows he's wrong, so he keeps trying to work it out. He does it a second time and corrects the Titanic's position, and this time is a little bit closer. He's still off by, I think, again, a factor of about five miles. And this is all happening while he's doing communications on the ship, sending out these distress signals? He's not responsible for the distress signals. He's writing these positions down, giving them to the radio operators, and the radio operators are sending it out. But this is while Titanic is sinking. Yes, he's doing it under the pressure of, this ship is going to sink, and if he doesn't get the position right, rescue ships aren't going to be able to find them. And that's why... In the early morning, he just gets up on the front of his lifeboat and just starts holding these green flares up into the sky, desperately hoping that another ship will see him and be able to actually find the Titanic's passengers. Because he knows that even though he might be kind of right, he's also likely to be a little bit off. Yeah, and that's what ultimately saves all of the Titanic's passengers. Because the Carpathia, the ship that comes to rescue them, it goes to the wrong spot. And then they see this tiny green light and they steer towards it and that leads them to finding the rest of these lifeboats. God bless you, Mr. Fourth Officer. Yeah, he's a pretty interesting guy, actually. He actually, you can listen to, if you really want, he recorded about, I think, 40 years or 50 years after the disaster, he recorded a testimony of his experience on the night that the Titanic sank. I went on watch at 8 o'clock on that Sunday night, the... 14th of April. It's pretty harrowing stuff, but he had this incredible recollection for the night. When the iceberg was reported from the crow's nest, when when they stuck the bells, I was sitting in my cabin having a cup of tea and immediately got up and walked along to the bridge. He just describes, you know, the sounds that he heard. As I came up through the top lounge where the band was they were playing Alexandra's ragtime band. He has like quite a beautiful voice by the time that he's recording this and I think he was from Liverpool or something so you just have this old man telling you about this incredibly harrowing experience in his early 20s. Well I put the amended position down on the desk and I said now send that amended position do you understand? He said yes well I said send that off right away and that was the position that the Carpathia came to. And I worked on the boat covers, taking off the boat covers on the boat deck, when I heard the crow's nest report a light on the starboard bow. Well, I went on the bridge right away. I found this light with my own glasses, but I wanted the telescope to define what it was, and I realised then that it was two mass headlights of a steamer Below the horizon. 
It's like Thomas the Tank Engine, but super depressing. Anyway, we, we, I won't want to dwell on fourth off the box all too much. That's where you draw the line on your little tangents? Well, we can go into his, you know, like his life. No, no, you're right. You're actually right. Your instincts were correct. Okay, the Carpathia. Yeah, anyway, the thing is, if they'd had two extra hours afloat, that would have got the Carpathia to them. It would have also got some of the other ships who were around them. And this is where I want to introduce you to a host of very interesting characters, Tim. And the first is the SS Californian. Again, is this a guy with a crazy name or an actual ship? This is a ship. Okay. This is the ship that they think may have watched the Titanic sink. What do you mean? There is evidence from passengers on board the Titanic and from officers on board the Titanic, as well as evidence from people on the Californian that they watched each other in those final hours and the Californian didn't come to help. Oh, my God. A ship definitely watched the Titanic sink. Its identity, though, is really heavily shrouded in mystery, and we'll come to that. So the Titanic hits the iceberg at 11.40. An hour earlier, at 10.30, the SS Californian is stopped completely surrounded by ice. So they send a message to Titanic warning them of the imminent danger that Titanic is sailing towards. This is what they hear. Keep out. Shut up. Shut up. I'm working Cape Race. Titanic to Cape Race. Sorry. Please repeat. Jammed. Whoa, that's pretty freaky. So Titanic's telling everyone to shut up. Who's Cape Race? Cape Race is a Marconi transmitting station, which is in Canada. Now, Marconi's, just to take a second, Marconi is the guy who builds these machines that send Morse code between ships, right? Like big radio transmitters. Yeah, it's these, you might have heard, like telegraphs, right? Gotcha. So Marconi creates these Marconi machines. The original Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's actually a bit like the original Twitter because anyone can hear you. If you're sending out a Marconi gram, anyone who's within range of you can hear you. And what happens here is Titanic's radio operator, Jack Phillips, he's sending out a huge backlog of messages that he has from Titanic's passengers. He has about 250 messages that he's desperately trying to work through. At the same time, he's also getting messages back from Cape Race to passengers on board the Titanic. Right, so back in the day, in the 1910s, if you're on a passenger ship, you can still communicate with the rest of the outside world via these, what are they called, Marconigrams? Marconigrams, yeah. This is one of the big luxury things that Titanic has, right? So if you want, you can pay a certain fee. Uh, I think it's about 50 New Zealand dollars to send a message. And you can write that message, give it to one of these Marconi operators, and they'll send it off to the mainland and it'll get there. And what kind of things are people sending through these Marconi grams? It's They're all kind of salacious in some ways. Like some of them are very perfunctory, like trying to organise accommodation or carriages to come and pick them up after the Titanic. But some of them are like detailing like affairs or these, you know, rendezvous that are going to happen when people get to New York or even just little love letters that are being sent between passengers. So now it's like getting in people's DMs for 50 bucks a message. Yes, if that DM can be heard by every ship, it's in the North Atlantic. Right. Yes. So the night before, Titanic's Marconi gram was broken. So Jack Phillips stays up the entire night fixing this machine so that when they come in range of Cape Race, he can start sending these messages. He's up for 48 hours at this point that he's sending these messages off to Cape Race. Now, the thing about Marconi grams is that the closer the transmitter is to you, the louder it will appear. Cape Race is miles and miles, about 500 miles away. So Jack Phillips has had to turn his operating system up so that he can hear these messages. And then all of a sudden, Californian, which is only about 20 to 30 miles away, it jumps in with his ice warning, and that just fries Jack Phillips' ears. You know, he's just getting this incredibly loud shouting, basically. 
Wow. And so his immediate reaction is to tell this ship to shut up. And that's not necessarily an impolite message. It is certainly quite crude, but he's basically saying, I need you to shut off because your signal is interfering with my signal with Cape Race. Oh, my God. But what they were telling him is that you're headed straight for a field of icebergs? Yeah, and he was so focused on these messages that this is one of the theories is that he he wasn't really paying attention to these actually important ice messages. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Dude's been up for two days and he's got to tell everyone about where the affairs are going down when they make land again. And the other consequence is that the Californians' radio operator now turns off their radio. No! And they turn it down. And so later in the night, there's apparently this moment where one of the crew of the Californian who's seeing these distress rockets go up from the Titanic is starting to think, oh, maybe something's wrong. So they go in and he he pops these headphones on and goes, oh, I can't actually hear anything. Everything must be all right. But that was because the radio was turned down. Oh, my God. Yeah. The point is this ship, the Californian, it becomes very central to what we're going to hear later, which is this whole theory that they watched a ship in distress and did nothing. And there's a lot of question as why they didn't do anything. And they certainly saw the rockets, as I mentioned. They seemed to have some confusion around what those rockets meant. But the ultimate thing is they didn't go to help. And just to confirm, this didn't happen on the 4th of July, so it definitely couldn't be confused for fireworks. No, but there is this very interesting phenomenon that we should talk about, which is called thermal inversion, Tim. Okay. <laughs> so the point at where Titanic sank is on this part of the, the North Atlantic Ocean where the Gulf Stream meets the Labrador Current. Now of the, course, I know her well. Yeah, now the Labrador Current is much, much colder than the Gulf Stream. So if you have very, very specific conditions, namely a very calm ocean, what those hot and cold currents meeting can do is create an artificial horizon. So the horizon actually appears much higher than it is in real life. So it's like a mirage. It is. It's what's called a superior mirage. So that can have the effect of, say, blocking out an iceberg from sight. And this is a theory for why they saw the iceberg so late, was it was hidden with this superior mirage. But the other thing that it can do is it can make ships that are much further away than you should be able to see make them appear closer. So the Californian was sure that they were seeing a ship much closer to them that was very small. But they may have, in fact, been seeing the Titanic, which was much further away, but its its image was being lifted by this mirage. Ah, the old Peter J and forced perspective track. Exactly. And it would also make these distress rockets that they're sending up appear much lower. And that's what kind of confused them because they were like, why is it sending up these tiny little rockets? That's the whole thing that we're coming across now. And let's go back to the Carpathia, right? The ship that rescued the Titanic survivors. So when it arrives on the scene of Titanic's lifeboats the next morning, it sees two other ships. Now, Captain Rostron, who's in command of the Carpathia, one thing he does say is these two ships weren't the Californian. He also says something that confuses me a little bit, but he kind of also seems to rule out the Mount Temple. We'll come to that ship in a second. But he says there's these two other ships that are there at the site. And bizarrely, these ships are never investigated. Okay, so I just want to check I've got this right. We're dealing with five ships now. Mm-hmm. We've got a sinking Titanic. So-called Titanic. A sinking so-called Titanic. We've got the Californian, which is watching them sink. Mm-hmm. We've got the Carpathia that's coming up real hot to come and save everybody. And then we've got these two bonus mystery ships. We also have a sixth ship, Tim, which is the Mount Temple. Of course. Now, the Mount Temple is really interesting because its captain and crew all testified that it was 50 miles away at the start of this disaster. It seems close. And it was seen by the Carpathia and the Californian the next day at the location of the Titanic sinking. But 
For all we know, it was the same as the Carpathia. It came to the rescue. What's interesting is that in the weeks after the incident, some of the passengers and crew on board the Mount Temple come forward with this story that there was almost a mutiny on board that ship because they feel that the Mount Temple was so close to the Titanic that they could see and hear people in the water. That is horrifying. But it's, again, never investigated. Why? At the time. At the time. That's crazy. Now, let's go back to these two mystery ships. It's unclear if one of these mystery ships is the Mount Temple, just because of the way that Captain Rostron wrote his affidavit. But let's say that it's not for a minute. We know there are two other ships that are almost exactly where Titanic sank earlier in the evening. Okay. One of them is the SS Parisian, and the other is the SS Antillian. Both of those ships were known to be in the area where the Titanic sank, and had identified themselves through Marconi transmissions as being there. So they sent out a message saying, this is where I am, right? No questions about it. Parisian and Antillian, they're on the scene, baby. They're on the scene hours before the Titanic sank. We know that. That's a fact. This is where it gets interesting. So the two ships that Captain Rostron from the Carpathian says he saw, one had four masts, the other had two. Interestingly... The Parisian has four masts and the Antillian has two. What's also interesting is that neither of those ships have any of their crew, passenger or anyone involved in them called before either of the two Titanic inquiries that will follow. No one is ever questioned from either of those ships where they were that night. Despite the fact that the position that Parisian gives where they were at about 6.30 that evening is exactly where Titanic actually sank. That's the correct position where Titanic really was, is where Parisian was four hours earlier. I'm no big city lawyer, but I would definitely be investigating the people on those two ships. And this is what I can never understand, is why these ships weren't ever investigated. Yeah, Carlo, why weren't they ever investigated? The reason I think, Tim, is because they were there waiting for the Titanic to sink slowly. No. And then when that didn't happen and the light came up and there was no stricken Titanic and just a bunch of people in the water, they realised that this whole plan had gone terribly wrong and they just fled out of there. And we never hear from either of them again. Until they're sunk by a German torpedo in World War I or scrapped in the 1920s. Is that related? No, but it is a fun fact. Yeah, I guess it depends on your idea of fun. So let's just drill into the point here. We've got a plethora of ships that are right around the Titanic. Some that are so close they can see Titanic sink, some that are so close they can hear Titanic sink. And out of those five surrounding probable ships, there's two that are really close. In fact, they're on the exact same position where Titanic was five hours before it sunk. And no one investigates the people on board? Yeah, in fact, when we get to the British Board of Trades inquiry, there's a map that shows where all the ships were that were around the Titanic, and they have Parisian there with a big question mark. (laughs) But they never ask anybody about it. Even if your exact conspiracy theory didn't happen, this is still pretty wild stuff. Yeah, Tim, it's, it's, it's wild, man. And I really want to impress upon you that these five other ships, they weren't the only ships that were around Titanic. There were so many. And so I've put together a radio play for you to listen to, Tim. It's a real-time radio play of Titanic's Morse messages, which I've transcribed into a script and had performed for your enjoyment. What? I just really want to impress upon you how many ships there were close to the Titanic, and this is the best way I know how to do it. So, Tim, please enjoy 
Titanic's Final Hours. It's Titanic's Final Hours for Radio on the Air with Carlo Ricci, starring Cape Race, the RMS Titanic, the RMS Olympic, the SS California, the SS Mount Temple, the SS Frankfurt, with the SS Iparanga and the RMS Carpathia. Titanic to Cape Race to Harrison Sanford, New York. Hello, boy. Dining with you in spirit tonight. Heart with you always. Love, girl. This is some of those backlog of messages we were talking about, right, ah. that they're sending to Cape Race. So what are they talking about? This is some of those little love Cape notes we were Cape talking Race. about before, Tim. George Simmond, New York. Weather delightful. Feeling fine. Hope all. CQD. This is Titanic. CQD. This is Titanic. So this message that Titanic's sending out now, CQD, that was the original SOS. CQ meant calling all ships or all stations. D meant distress. Got it. Frankfurt to Titanic. What is the matter? CQD, this is Titanic. Position 41, 44N, 50, 24W. Okay, stand by. CQD, this is Titanic. Mount Temple to Titanic. What is the matter? Titanic to Mount Temple. Cannot hear you, old man. But here is my position. 41, 44N, 50, 24W. Come at once. Have struck a berg. Received. Will tell Captain. CQD, this is Titanic. CQD. CQD. Attention all stations. This is Mount Temple. Titanic sending CQD. Says requires assistance. Gives position. Cannot hear me. Advise my captain. He is at 4144N, 5024W. Attention all stations. This is Cape Race. Titanic giving position on CQD. Position 4144N, 5024W. Attention, all stations. Titanic gives position here, 4144N, 5024W. Requires assistance. So at this point, I started to get a little bit worried about what had happened to Carlo. I invited him to come to New Zealand to hang out with me and tell me about this conspiracy theory he believed in, but we're now five minutes into a two-hour, 40-minute radio play, and I'm a little worried about the guy. Attention, all stations. Titanic gives position here, 4144N, 5024W. Requires assistance. Carpathia to Titanic. Do you know Cape Race is sending a batch of messages for you? Titanic to Carpathian. Come at once. We have struck a berg. It's a CQD, old man. Position 4144N, 5024W. Shall I tell my captain? Do you require assistance? So that's the Carpathia team. That's the ship that's going to come to rescue Titanic. You can hear how assured they are and how assuring they are. They're trying to coach Titanic into knowing that everything's going to be okay. Titanic gives corrective position 4146N, 4014W. Calling him, no answer. Position 4146N, 4014W. Require immediate assistance. Have a collision with iceberg sinking. It was at this point in the day that I decided both Carlo and I were out of our depth, and I knew that I needed to get some professional help. So now I'm joined by Dr. Janina Scarlett, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, someone who knows a lot about mental disorders and when the brain doesn't do what it's supposed to be doing. Dr. Scarlett, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. I've brought you on to the show at this point because I have a friend. Let's call him Carlo. And Carlo has for his entire life been very interested to the point where I would call it an obsession uh, with the RMS Titanic. Mm -hmm. And 
this love of the Titanic has led to him doing a lot of independent research by himself, which over the years has led to him believing that the recorded history we all know about Titanic is wrong. And he believes he has some unique knowledge about what really happened to Titanic. Mm -hmm. Some people might describe it as a conspiracy theory. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the nature of conspiracy theories and if I need to be worried about where Carlo's at and maybe how I can help him. I think these are really important questions. And I think as a psychologist, the question that I usually like to ask is how is this impacting this person's life? If this is something that's very meaningful for this individual and it's helping them function, that's fantastic. I think that we're... As a psychologist, I might be concerned is if the person is struggling in their everyday life as a result of their search for truth. So if it's interfering with their ability to sleep or eat or interact with their loved ones or go to work, uh, then we would want to think about some kind of an intervention or some kind of support to make sure the person is functioning well. But if they're on the road of their heart, to find whatever they believe is the most authentic truth, then, I don't know, as a psychologist, I would be applauding somebody for for following what's really important to them. So from the point of view of clinical psychology, this extreme interest, obsession, some might call it, would only be problematic if it was affecting his sort of everyday life and getting in the way of his relationships and how he goes about day to day. Exactly. Okay. I'm going to do a little bit of digging to find out subtly how this might be affecting the rest of his life. (laughs) If I do come across some negative answers based on what he says, do you have any advice for me dealing with someone who has become very obsessed with what I would describe as a conspiracy theory? I think if it was me, I might say something along the lines of, hey, as somebody who loves you and cares about you, here's what I observed and how can I support you to make sure that you're leading a life that is most balanced, most according to your greatest core values and so that you don't lose other things that are important to you, like your friends, your family and your job. Um, You know, would you consider maybe talking to a therapist or somebody else that can help you really balance all the things that are important to you while still maintaining your passion that clearly is very important to you as well? This is great practical advice that I can use. Thank you so much for all of your answers and your expertise today, Dr. Scarlett. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Carpathia to Titanic. Titanic to Carpathia. Come quick. She's taken on water. It's full up to the boilers. Carpathia to Titanic. All our boats are loaded. We are coming to you as hard as we can, old man. Double watch on engine room. Have your lifeboats ready when we arrive. You can hear at this point that Titanic's radio operator knows that it's close Come as quickly as possible, old man. They're starting to panic. And you can really hear that in the messages that are being sent out. And Carpathian is just there to try and help them get through it. You fall. Stand by. Stand by. Stand by and keep out. Keep out. We have not heard from Titanic for about half an hour. His power may be gone. CQD, this is Titanic. D. D. Right now, the Titanic's losing power. The messages are starting to get less and less clear, and they're starting to fade away. CQD, this is Titanic. We are sinking fast. Passengers are being put into boats. Titanic. CQD, this is Titanic. CQD, this is...
And with that, Titanic is gone. Cool, man. Well, that was certainly as harrowing as I thought it would be. Yeah, it really is quite stark when you hear it in real time, hey, Tim? Yeah, who knew that the deaths of 1,500 people at sea would be quite so sad? I think you just always feel like you want to be able to help them when you start hearing these distress messages. Yeah. Hey, Carlo, can I ask you a question? Yeah, man. That's the whole reason I'm here. Would you say that you were struggling in your everyday life? Struggling? Yeah. I wouldn't think so, no. That's cool. Like, you feel like you're spending enough time with your family. You've got a young daughter under Yeah, one. I like to kind of compartmentalise my passions, you know? So I like to spend time with my family and spend time with my daughter and bringing her up. And then I also like to have some time, you know, researching the Titanic. I like to think of my life as, like, 16 watertight compartments on the bottom side of the Titanic. Amazingly, that's an analogy I can now fully understand. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, like we've had such a good time here in New Zealand. Yes, I spent a lot of time working on this podcast and researching transcripts and things. We also went to Hobbiton. That's awesome, A really nice family trip. It's so nice. So, I mean, to put it another way, would you kind of say you feel like you're on the road of your heart? The road of my heart? Yeah. Yeah, does it feel like you're on the road of your heart? Uh, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I suppose I am on the road of my heart. You mean like I'm following my passions? I think so. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think I am on the road of my heart. That's a very nice way to think about it, Tim. Yeah. Cool. That is so great to hear, man. I guess I can just stop worrying about that. So, the conspiracy. I really feel like I'm starting to understand what you've laid out for me now. We've got the people involved. We've got the motive of why they did it. We've got the method in which they planned to do it, which then went awry because of the iceberg. All of these other crazy bits of happenstance got in the way. One thing I don't understand is how they intended to get away with this all. Like, surely there were some investigations, even in this botched version of the plan, right? It was investigated, Tim. It was investigated twice. The thing is, the two investigations were very politically motivated and I would argue very biased public inquiries. And I can prove it. But that's a story for the next episode. Hey, listener. It's Tim here again. I'm pretty satisfied that Carlo isn't struggling in his everyday life too much. He's spending time with his family and appears to be sleeping in between his Titanic research sessions. But I did get a comedian mate of mine to listen to this episode to give perspective outside my bubble with Carlo. Courtney Dawson. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Big fan, big fan. Is that right? Absolutely. I've, I've smashed the other episodes and I'm, I'm, I'm very honoured to be on this one. So, Courtney, if you've listened to the other episodes so far, what do you think of this tale that Carla was weaving for us? Okay, I have to say straight off the bat, I am 100% convinced. I was convinced 10 minutes in, Carlo, <laughs> I would trust you with my life. <laughs> you sound like you know what you're talking about. So, I mean, I was, I was completely on board from the get-go. So, like, listening to this episode, I was just like, yeah. Absolutely. Are you a person who gets taken in by conspiracy theories easily, or was there something specific about Carlo's pitch that drew you in? I don't want to um, belittle Carlo's extensive research slash obsession. I am quite easily influenced. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I I donate to like 
so many charities because as soon as they stop me in the mall, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Take my money, whatever it is. So, um, but having said that, I do, I do really appreciate the passion and the amount of, of work you've put into this. It's pretty incredible. What did you know about the Titanic going into this? Were you aware of this conspiracy theory, considering that you're a bit of a purveyor of them? I was not aware of this conspiracy theory at all. I was obviously aware of the Titanic. In 97, I was nine. And when you talk about like getting scared over and over again by the same movie, in the Titanic, when the man falls off and flips around on the pro- propeller, yeah. oh my God, that was the first time I got traumatized by a movie. It was... <laughs> horrible i like bored my eyes out so Courtney, you know you've said you're wholeheartedly on board what makes it a compelling conspiracy for you i think particularly in this episode or i guess i can't remember which episode it was i banged them up pretty hard but i'm pretty oh that was weird i banged them up pretty fast so they will move into one podcast episode um but do i believe that a mega rich businessman try to pull a scam for some money and accidentally killed 1500 people uh yeah i can believe that (laughs) that was probably the most yeah compelling thing but also just like you know when you just try and like pull a prank or a scam and then it like blows up in your face this is like a terrible analogy but do you guys remember um like on infomercials where they would sell those like workout so many ab products yeah, like, mm-hmm. to like make you have abs. And was there this was like one... the six minute abs that everyone was trying to undercut the last guy? <laughs> it started with 20 minute abs, then it was 18 minute abs, 16, 14, 12, 8. <laughs> exactly. So there was one that I think it was early on, so it was like 10 minute abs. Um, my, <laughs> my auntie had one of those things where it's like, it's like a bench press, but the sides are adjustable. And my cousin was because this is the thing with those infomercial things it starts off you use it for about a month and then it turns into a toy for the kids so <laughs> there were we just had this like playground of um disused uh, infomercial ab machines <laughs> so we were, we were playing on it my cousin was lying on it and it was sort of propped up by the stick on an angle so this is my prank i was like i'm gonna kick the stick and then he's gonna fall back and like oh, it was no. <laughs> It was padded. Wait, how old was the kid? <laughs> oh, he was probably like seven. And and oh, I, I was pretty little. <laughs> he was seven. And I was maybe like nine or ten. Yeah. And you just seen like these big propellers on the Titanic. There was a lot of trauma that you needed to get rid of. <laughs> exactly. This is how bad that movie damaged me. I'm out here trying to like hurt my cousins. But so I tried to kick the stick so that he would fall back. But I kicked it and then the metal bench press fell on my toe, crushed my toe. It was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. And I've given birth to a child. And then my toenail turned black, fell off and took two years to grow back. God damn. So that was your JP Morgan attempting to take down the (laughs) Titanic equivalent. Exactly. And I deserved deserved it. Hard out. Far out. That is harrowing. (laughs) And so that, that, that rich man deserves to um to be exposed by this podcast even though he's probably been dead for so so long we'll we'll dig him up and we'll we'll put him on public shame so courtney let me ask you this um do you feel like you sort of understand the main storyline that carlo is is weaving here like i've got the benefit of having this dedicated space where it's just he and i in a room listening to him but i know that there's a lot of information it's quite dense there's a lot of facts there's some people to hold in your head do you feel like you're getting what he's laying down 
Yeah, I feel like it's the scam of trying to swap the votes, the fire. Yeah, actually, this is fun. Let's start from the start. Oh, you no. tell me what you think Carlo thinks has happened. Yeah, shop bro, I just told you how bad my memory is, so thanks for this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically like, okay, money-hungry businessman, they, the, the, the current is too strong, sucked in multiple boats, one of them smashed the side, then they had to swap the boats secretly, um, and then they swapped them, then they tried to, oh yeah, so the scam, they're going to sink the boat, they light the fire, then they smash into the um, icebergs, and all of this other stuff is going on, whereas where they like, what's the thing with the um, the fake horizon, the mirage? Oh, a superior mirage. Yeah, the the horizon appears higher than it should be. That makes complete sense to me. I don't understand the scientific basis <laughs> of it. That makes complete sense to me. <laughs> what's that thing called? A mirage? Oh, yeah, a superior mirage. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> One hundred percent. How can how can quicksand be real? Superior <laughs> Mirage has to be real. Courtney, that was a great job of summarising where we're at. <laughs> was it? I think really? so. I think it was. Okay. Okay. Well, Courtney, what if I told you that in the next episode we are getting into the minutia of two official investigations into Titanic? Does that sound interesting to you? I cannot wait i love that i love that there's a oh my god yeah because okay first of all like the people the businessman's up the boat up then oh the government's up oh no that's so crazy of course they are so i cannot wait to hear the details of that i'm i'm, I'm pumped so i gotta ask you courtney did titanic sink this might come as a surprise to you guys but no the titanic did not sink it did not sink. There's no way. Score one for Carlo. <laughs> Can I ask one quick question related to this podcast, Courtney? So mm-hmm. you will have heard like a couple of our previous guests have their biggest problem with this conspiracy theory is they felt like people would have would have spoken out. Have you been satisfied that this could stay a secret for so long? Uh, yeah, I am. Well, I mean, it is a pretty long time, but I think that it is possible because if you think about things like MKUltra, which were like, you know, bad conspiracy theories and stuff, and a lot of the details of that is only coming out now, and that's closer to our time where there's like more technology and access to information and stuff. So I feel like it's completely, it's completely possible to keep it hidden. Yeah, I, 100%. Well, Courtney, <laughs> you're officially our most worrying guest on the podcast so far. <laughs> I'm concerned for you. Oh, as long as I'm winning something, I'm happy. Whatever the award, that's fine. It's been so great talking to you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on the Titanic and wider conspiracies. Thank you so much. Did Titanic Sink is written and produced by myself, Tim Batt and Carlo Ritchie. The executive producers are Tim Watkin and Justin Gregory. Katie Gossett is the associate producer for RNZ. All episodes are directed by Chelsea Preston Crayford, with audio engineering by Blair Stagpole, and original music by Eilish Wilson, Hekurangi Scarverian Carr, and Phoebe Johnson. Additional voicing from Lee Hart, Guy Montgomery, Ali Budler, Alice Matthews, and Jackie Van Beek, with special guest Courtney Dawson. 
Inquiry transcripts courtesy of the Titanic Inquiry Project. Marconiogram transcripts courtesy of Sean Collin. This project would not be possible without the work of the Titanic Inquiry Project. Subscribe to Did Titanic Sync on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.